0: Welcome to the Bilge Pumps, where a bunch of naval geeks spout off.
1: Hello everybody and welcome to Bilge Pumps. This is episode 29. It's rapidly catching up on how old some of us are, this is quite worrying. Um... Nevertheless, we are joined as normal by myself, in case you hadn't noticed. This is not a uh, time traveling message from the future or the past. So, I, Drak NFL, am here. Uh, we'll How do be... we know? Yeah. This is a good question. I could be a virtual impersonation, but. You could that... be a deep fake. Hmm, I can think of a few people who might be deep fake before me, though. Not yeah. that I would object having my face put onto uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. That would be quite funny. I think the beard might ruin the effect. Nonetheless, (laughs) um, as you can probably tell, we have uh, Dr. Alexander Clark and Jamie from Armored Carriers. And they're both with me today, or they're stuck with me, I guess, (laughs) as they usually are. So, this week... First things first, before we get into anything, we
2: have to say a special hello to someone.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: Because we were sent a message by a gentleman called Ian last week, saying how much his son Akito has been enjoying... Our Bill Trumps, and so we wanted to say a special hello to Akito. We hope you're well, and we hope you'll enjoy this episode. Mm
0: -hmm. And uh, let us know what you want to know. Yeah, that's what we're here for.
2: So, what we've all got to discuss today?
1: We are. What uh, about topics? The year in retrospect. What are we going to? uh, What are we? Well, yeah. Looking at 2020 in retrospect, I think that's something where you need like blast goggles to do really but if we focus down to the naval side of things i think we're going to maybe look at things that have happened this year that we probably will want to follow up in next year's episodes
2: oh yes and also speaking of next year's episodes and i'm going to get this out the way at the beginning of the episode so it's done so i don't have to worry about it at all we have set up an email account and the reason we set up an email account which is going to be listed in the details down below, but I'm also going to say here is Simsec at gmail.com. And literally we set that up because we thought that would be a very easy for this, is we want to do a little bit of a competition for January because we have these great things come from Discord and YouTube and Twitter, these lovely ideas that people have for what they'd like us to discuss. And so we really thought that what you could do If you would like, there are going to be two episodes set aside in January for this. If you send us a Word document to that email address, that's bilgepumps of simsec at gmail.com. We will go through it. And the top two, we will invite, not only will we do the topic, but we will invite you on as the guest on BilgePumps. So you send us through a document proposing what you want to talk about, proposing... You know, basically putting together a pitch. And we'll have you on,
0: because... And,
2: and a, if you, don't, ma- w-
0: if you yeah. don't want to be on, send us money.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Zimbabwean <laughs> dollars. <laughs> I've always oh. wanted to be a trillionaire and then not be able to use it to buy a chocolate bar. <laughs> no, Although in I all guess... seriousness, if you do send us a trillion Zimbabwean dollars as a... As a Bribe, i will put it up in a frame behind me just for the novelty <laughs> value oh. the highest denomination currency i currently currently have is i think a 10 million reichsmark note from the 1930s Ooh. but a, a, a trillion dollars i mean come on that's 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 a, a few extra zeros
2: oh that is that's a few extra i must zero. be I was, no. quite,
1: I was actually i was actually Completely off topic, but I was actually quite disappointed when they re- rebased their currency and decided to start mainly using American dollars because I was looking forward to the world's first uh, banknotes that were issued with mathematical notations instead of just zeros.
2: <laughs>
0: oh God, we're gonna
1: We shouldn't we shouldn't it's, laugh it's bad at that. We, we have
2: half of China trying to take us out at some point. <laughs>
0: oh God.
2: Uh, yeah, and we also hope next year, of course, to get past the curse. And if and this is another thing, if uh, I, I, I'm not sure, should we give a warning to female listeners about submitting our uh, submitting proposals for you know episodes, or should we hope that will get past well, the so, curse?
1: So far, the curse only appears to be affecting female co presenters, so <laughs> we'll see what happens. Um,
2: well, also, you know, we've had. We- there's one person we've invited about five times and was actually originally going to be part of the lineup for bilge pumps. Hasn't managed to make it every time something legitimate, very, very actually, you know, understandable comes up. We've had another pair of historians who are booked to come on together who couldn't make it. We've had my girlfriend, we've had about three others it's just it's getting i'm not sure what's going on here i don't know
1: yeah i i have a i have a working theory that if because we obviously all have our own respective channels i have a working theory if we individually invite our guests uh, or should have been guests to work with us on collaborative videos on our respective channels and then, in theory, two of us will succeed, and then unexpected circumstances will scuttle the third, and then we will know which of us has invoked the anger of strange deities. And who needs to be axed? <laughs> or exercised.
0: <laughs> oh, God. Considering
2: my channel keeps going on about the Blackburn, Blackburn as a new religion, and I think actually there's also there's about three starting now, because there's also the religion of the Catalina and the Latter-day Biplane. <laughs> I'm slightly worried about the context of all my YouTube channel guidance, but leaving that to one side, uh, yeah, let's hope none of those de- de- deities happen to be a Blackburn Blackburn.
0: <laughs> oh no, the holy sword, the holy swordfish.
2: Mm. Oh yes. Oh good lord, there's another one. It even has a cruciform <laughs> shape.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, the year that was. Yes.
0: Oh good lord. Where do we start?
1: Well, one of the things I'm very interested in following up next year is frigates, because of course we have the FFGX competition, which in, in, in typical American fashion was announced as we won dozens and dozens and dozens of these things, and then they had a nice big competition and then they went off and said, Okay, um, well we're gonna we're gonna award a contract for I think it's ten. Um And then we're going to go from there, at which point (laughs) that does raise some interesting questions as to are they running this batch of 10 as a, a test batch to see if the winner is something they want to continue with? Are they looking at perhaps some of the upcoming future designs from various places and they might want to adapt one of those? But because of the competition requirements saying it had to be in service, they're waiting to see what happens when some of these newer ships get into service or or what are they going to do we don't know so i'd be interested it, to see what happens after of, that first 10. is it just a
0: matter of them not knowing what they're doing i mean um you know, it's, it seems to be a fairly endemic problem with the ship design at the moment mm. the, um, the 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 you know what's happening with the next batch of destroyers what's happening with the next back, batch of cruisers? Will there be a next batch of cruisers? These decisions have all been percolating now for years and don't seem any re- closer to resolution. Yeah, I think I The mean, thing they-
2: is they haven't been forced to make a resolution. I think that's what you're dealing with. Mm. You're dealing with still the legacy of indecision that happened with the end of the Cold War when no one was really sure what navies were for because there was never going to be another battle at sea. There was never mm. going to be another fight. No mm. one was ever going to should... fight you at sea. You never had to worry about it again and suddenly they're having to think about it. But the trouble is the Cold War ended 30 years ago, and don't think it's the wrong way. But all the officers who have experiences of making decisions about procurement towards the end of the Cold War, which weren't always that great of decisions, but at least they were experienced, are now long way away from any post where they're making decisions.
0: But uh, and I guess you know, that sort of brings me to my point is. Yeah, is, is that really the problem now? Is the problem now the legacy of everyone's being afraid to repeat Zumwalt mm. and Littoral Combat Ship? Well, well I, th- I, I think-, think
2: Littoral Combat Ship is something you should be afraid to repeat. But the Zumwalt, I have a big objection when people start saying that's a big failure. The engines work. The hull design works. the Everything works apart from the super advanced gunship, the gun the Railgun system, which so it, also actually they should...
0: it also doesn't have its radar system. So,
2: well, the radars you know. actually would work if they fitted them. Uh, <laughs> the, 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 they're using them on the Ford class, so I'm presuming they work fairly well. If they've already decided to put them
1: into their aircraft carriers, mind you, I think didn't they didn't they say after Ford they were going to downrate the subsequent Fords because they thought the Ford class's radar installation was rid- far too ridiculously expensive, even for a supercarrier. So it's going to be That's the most powerful radar-equipped carrier in the fleet, <laughs> but it's going to be a one-off. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, to be honest, I, the annoying thing I find with looking at the U.S. naval procurement in the last couple of decades is that it you could understand that it's gone a little bit off the rails from with the time when it had at least some pressure in the form of the Cold War. But it seems to be completely almost random. Because on the one hand you have stuff like LCS where they're they're going well we have a spec and we want to build a ship to this spec and actually we're going to take both competitors, which is indecision. Um, but they definitely want they want the thing, but they can't decide exactly it's, what they it's, they it's want. It's not just indecision;
0: for. it's also commercial interest.
1: Yes, it's port barrelling. Yeah. Yes, yeah. but then at the same time you've got stuff like t- trying to well what they were trying to do to Bonham Richard and what they are uh, trying to do with some of the other new build. Um, LHAs or LHDs or um, whatever flavor of LH they are these days um, in the with those ships they're not going for like on the one hand you've gone for a, a specialized ship that's supposed to do specific roles but then you've got two of them so you've gone into too much detail and then on the other hand you've got trying to refit your amphibious assault ships to also act as mini carriers which is the other end of the spectrum in terms of procurement trying to get one one class one class of ship and just going oh no we're going to uh we're, go- we're going to get it to do this other job because if you follow the same line of logic that led to getting both the independence and freedom classes that would suggest that you should have your america class and you should have a separate sl- large light to mid sized carrier dedicated carrier being built that would be that kind of diversification of classes but instead they've gone with kind of the one ship hull will do everything approach that Probably would have been a wiser approach with LCS. It's like the whole thing's backwards, but um, yeah. And, and we've discussed this with it, like with the Zumwalt, with it being a, a good ship, but the they didn't think through the weapon systems first. Um, so it's all but, over what I'm the problem thing is, yeah. is
0: is that the actual that the fallout
1: of mm. those projects has sort
0: of instilled a maybe a culture of fear of making a decision. Mm. Uh, that, yeah, you know, that, that they're now terrified of making a choice because what if it's wrong And <laughs> <Yeah, laughs> they can and
2: avoid it because of the committee structure they now use
1: and then whereas if you
2: think in the 1930s 1920s even for a large cycle of the cold war and middle the americans do are really uh, obsessed about anno- avoiding this now but you had people like rick rover who had basically sole authority
1: but then you've got you've, you're gonna i think it's gonna be an interesting thing to see what happens after the first 10 and um, by the way i for our american listeners i thoroughly approve of the choices to go the choice to go back to the good naming conventions Mm. (laughs) the constellation class be calling the frigates the constellation class and resurrecting some of the good old frigate names and similarly with the um with the submarines going back to naming them after fish the way they did in the the two world wars i thoroughly support that now if we can only get to a point where you name your carriers after things like the old the old ones like yorktown and saratoga and hornet if you can get to that and stop naming them after flipping politicians that'd be wonderful
2: <laughs> there is one coming up which i am really looking forward to naming of which is the four classes which can be named after the sailor who fought at pearl harbor and who was doris miller really doris miller i i really approve of that a that i can't think of anyone else who deserves an aircraft carrier more than someone who was so famously involved in a what was an aircraft carrier strike immediately on the receiving end of it but also there is part of me which thinks that was the us Navy's guaranteeing they're going to get four ford class mm. because I mean, who is going to cancel a doris miller
0: yeah. who and,
1: and and to be perfectly honest i e- even even if you're not going to go back to the good names um at least go with admirals i mean i would much rather see a uss spruance US, and i know yes, they use these on destroyers but i'd rather i'd sooner see a fletcher spruance or even a Halsey class, or I've USS had a
2: Nimitz return after the Nimitz has got rid of.
1: Yeah, USS Nimitz too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this 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 time with more square. I'd um, even
2: expect a USS King. I'd be
1: quite mm, happy with USS. Yeah, King. USS King. USS King. Although well, that would that would be quite the paradox for a Republican country.
2: I would then recommend. The, uh, political... I would then recommend that it would need a Type 26s yeah. escort wherever it went to deal with the anti-submarine warfare operations. <laughs> yeah. But that's just because 'cause I'm being cruel. Yeah.
1: And, and for those of, you, those of you Americans who may have just fallen off a chair, I mean Republican as in you don't have a monarchy. No comment on the actual political parties. <laughs> um, uh, yes, but uh, yeah. I
2: mean, that is King- the other thing. Let's be honest. The Americans, for a, a nation which is as so inventive as it is, mm. very, very, um, and it's kind of the same with Britain. You have to say the same thing with Britain. The naming of our political parties has no imagination at all. You know, yeah. it, look, look at it. it. There's Republican and Democrats in America. There are the conservatives who, guess what, in the UK mm. are conservative. Big surprise. Labour. Guess what? They are the Labour Party, theoretically socialist. There are the Liberal Democrats who claim they straddle both sides of the political mm. wing in the centre. Um, <coughs> you sit there and go, you know what? Where are the where, where's the great political party names? Why does it have to be Italy? Which gets some of the great political sounding names. So, you know, you know they're terrible parties, but they at least they have a cool name. Yeah,
1: well, I mean, you could have the the USS Mitchell. Oh, I mean, he was a great carry, great carrier admiral. Um, oh, that'd
2: be fun. But you also know the Mitchell would be. Uh, you, know, you tell the Mitchell to use one bomb and one bomb only. And then five minutes later, you go. So you delivered your entire ordinance within three minutes. Yes, I was just seeing if I could. <laughs> that, that
1: that Chinese island base we told you to to uh, disable. You, you apparently your definition of disable is remove from map. By well, low- it's no
2: longer there. there. Actually,
1: it's it's one of those historical paradoxes in that the term raised to the ground is completely paradoxical. <laughs> it's like yeah. no, you have lowered it. <laughs> um,
2: uh. No, it would be it would be raised to the ground because instead of being raised above water level, mm. by the time USS Mitchell finished, it would be raised below water yeah. level. It would be a, now a canyon in mm. the ocean rather than. And if
1: island. they if they've got a USS Halsey, you could even you could even have a couple of um, a couple of long chains attached to the more the the the, uh, the carriers named after the slightly saner admirals to hold it back. <laughs> <laughs> I would suggest that perhaps the
0: uh, name ship of the next class of destroyers should be Honda Point. Mm.
1: <laughs> it's ship's motto, don't follow me.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, How about that captain who, I, I've forgotten his name now, but the captain who led the really, really insane charge
1: that's of a US
2: destroyers in World War II.
1: The one at Samar? Cap- yeah. Johnst- uh, well, Johnson Captain Evans.
2: Yeah. Yeah, there should be a a a next call. The next destroyer class, the crew class, the Evans class, Mm, that will that will sufficiently intimidate most of their opponents.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and uh, yeah.
2: uh, At any point, do you have actual control? of The ship? No, we just tell it the enemy are there that way, and it takes over. We it's inherited by a ghost. We're not quite sure how it does it, but the crew are literally just here waving.
1: (laughs) Maybe, Maybe that's the secret. Ah. Maybe hey, Warhammer 40K has had it right all along. We don't actually have AI, we because AI might be too far in the future for automated ships. We have machine spirits, where we develop a sufficiently advanced computer system, and then through strange rights, you bring the spirit of the USS Johnston and bind it to the ship. Mm-hmm. And now, now the ship can think and act for itself. It's just its oh, only then. thought. And then its only good. thought is kill.
2: <laughs> then good luck with getting a hypersonic missile near it, because the hmm. missile will never outthink it.
0: Mm. Well, we, we've actually seen this year that um, you know, the U.S. Navy has been experimenting with those crewless ships, mm. uh, you know, de- deployable, um, cross, you know, uh, long-distance deployable, mostly autonomous vessels. Yeah. and uh, I mean, so. yeah,
1: and and speaking of of new classes, of course, you can't forget the Type Thirty Two, whatever on earth that is going to be um i mean i i welcome the idea of the royal navy having more ships in principle that is a good idea but to be perfectly honest i'm at the same time i'm not entirely sure that for a navy that at that point would then have just over or around a couple of dozen surface combatants having those split between four separate classes is necessarily a good idea. I understand why they went with the Type 31s to try and keep the numbers up when the Type 26 order was cut. But now that there's more money in the game, I would, as I think I may have said on the previous episode, I would rather see a sixth Type 31 stuck on the order to make it a nice round half dozen so you can have a half flotilla and the rest of the money put into more Type 26s because at, at least then you're down to three Surface combatant hull types, rather than four. You, see, you now
2: Drac, you're presuming just because it's got a new number, it's going to be a new hull type, or a new I hull. Think you're
1: also
0: I'm you're also presuming that you're also presuming that the money actually exists, mm-hmm. um, well, because yeah, you know, this is the biggest fear of um, having a ship that you've got the name of the class for, mm. you've got no other details about, and with some vague distant projected start construction date
2: well the money has technically been allocated for it and i think the construction date might well be brought forward i'm also fairly certain that it's going to be a continuation of the type 31 class because that's the only way that the numbers make sense in any way shape or form i think they're not calling them type 31s because they don't want babcock to think they have it in the bag i think the entire reason for it being called type 32 is literally so Babcock don't think they've got it in the bag. And I have a feeling that the type 32 will be an evolution of the type 31 in that it might be even more automated systems involved. So slightly reduced man- even further reduced manning. It might well be orientated around supporting the mine warfare and the automated mine warfare systems we have. Whereas the type 31 is orientated more about long distance presence missions. Uh, and so, sort of those things. I also have a feeling, and this is going to sound strange, but I'm looking at the numbers and I'm looking at the equipment being procured. And I wouldn't be surprised if you see them at uh, the Type 32s have 40 millimeters on them again. But I also wouldn't be surprised if you see that the Type 32s get something else instead of the 57 millimeter. I wouldn't be surprised if that's a. Well, Looking at the guns which are going to be coming off and the life uh, they've got in, in barrel length and the amount of shells they're going to have stockpiled, I wouldn't be surprised if they use some of the four and a half inches of the Type 23s. Especially if they're not if they're going to still be fitting them to the Type 2045s and they're going to continue having them. Type 26s are going to have the five inches, so you've got a whole load of Type 23 four and a half inch guns coming off. And those could fit in that space on a Type 31 hull. And that would also be another reason they could say, "Would this is why we call it a Type Thirty Two because it's got a main, a different main gun, and it's maybe got a slightly different missile fit, and it does, uh, and anti- uh, it's orientated around mine warfare." But it will be the same hull, the same engines, the same command control system. All the expensive stuff will be exactly the fricking same.
0: How much, though, does this project depend on the tens of millions of pounds saved per week by Brexit? Mm-hmm. Um, because um, not because I'm just I'm just I'm just looking at you know the the um, U.S. navies this year they've you know the new plan is to go for a 405 ship fleet by the end of you know that uh, their the, the planning period. Um, but the words are there; they sound great, but uh, once again, there's just no
1: real solid funding behind it. I mean, the the weird thing is that the weird thing with the defence budget, with the amount of money, extra money they've announced, it's a lot of money. I mean, I don't think any of us would, would say no to, another, to a, a, a several billion pounds. But at the same time, on a national level, it's at four billion pounds roughly per year extra,
2: I think it's is about six per year. Is it six per year? It six four, per 24
1: year over, like? It's twenty-four yeah. over four years. Yeah, or, or six million. It's it's virtually a rounding error in terms of the national budget. Yeah, I mean they they they're not not to get too much involved in in, in current politics, but there's there's more in more money sunk into questionable PPE deals <laughs> for COVID nineteen this year than the entire defence budget increase for next year. So. I don't think that's going to be too much of a problem. You know, we're saying they're things.
2: giving more money, but it's not really a lot of money in terms of British spending and mm. British government account, uh, British government spending. It's really, really not a lot of money. Yeah. In fact, if we have any doses of inflation between now and then, that'll probably wipe out uh, massive inflation. That'll probably wipe it out and then some. But and, uh, the thing uh, is, there's also the way, the more important thing is the way they're changing the spending weighting. Okay? So this is going to sound strange. Up until now, Britain has had a best value for money by its cost basis for expenditure and defence spending. That's been the practice for about the last decade and a half. Am I right? Mm -hmm. Or is it last two decades? It, It depends on when you think it actually was actually subscribed to. Okay, where it's the last decade and a half, the last two decades. They're now changing it so that the value for money includes it being built in the UK and how many jobs it supports in the UK. Now, the big thing is, for the Royal Navy, this suddenly makes a lot of their projects far more cost-effective as far as the British Treasury is concerned. Why? Because when you're talking about Eurofighter being built, that supports jobs all around Europe and all around the world. in F-35, again, it's jobs all around the world. There's a lot of jobs in the UK, but there's not as many jobs out there. Whereas if you're talking about vehicle construction, there are a few factories, but they're not a lot. But it's probably going to keep Ajax and it's probably going to keep Boxer going if it's built in the UK, quite happily. However... We get on to shipbuilding, and what does the Royal Navy do with all its shipbuilding, barring some very sweet tangas which came from Korea? They're all getting built in the UK. They're all British shipyards. They're all British workers. And if you consider that, I'm, I'm sorry, this is going to sound strange, I think most of the defence procurement coming about is not as necessarily as much about China, although I'm sure that's a good cover and it's something they're going to be talking about. I think it's about jobs and I think it's about the reflection of Brexit and I think it's also a reflection on the current global market and COVID. I think that they that the Navy is being looked at as a good way to give the country jobs and put jobs in areas where it's going to sound strange. They, there aren't a lot of other jobs. If you look at the shipyards they're going to, those are shipyards in places where those shipyards are the major employers by a country mile
0: yeah look i mean it's certainly the been the policy in australia for a a, for a short while more than a short while i suppose it sort of started when we started building the collins Mm. and Mm. since then the policy has been to you know build destroyers and frigates Mm. here Um, although
2: your current submarines the ones you're currently (laughs) supposed to be building
0: um yes it was um, going to be 80%, then it's 60%. Now it's something like 40%, but that's mm. 40% of nothing from the sounds of things at the moment. So, yeah. Money yeah. Might be. Uh, so, it, it comes uh, to something when the
2: Canadians procuring the Upholder class of Britain starts to look like it was a sensible procurement in comparison, or as they call them, the Victoria class, don't they now?
1: I think so, yeah. Uh, well, well I think... Sorry, Direct. I, you know. I was going to say, the... the um, The only thing I'm wondering with the the type 32s is that given the random and somewhat unexpected, I must admit, success of the type 26s as export, even in modified versions, as export designs, I'm wondering if, as well as keeping jobs and skills up, maybe they're aiming to also try and not necessarily corner of the market, but at least have all your options covered as far as escorts go um, at the so, lower end of the market there's, in, in there's order a lot to of try and secure more deals. Yeah. A lot
0: competition
2: in that with um, some of the things I'm hearing about the American FFGX project, because there are. A- according to one of my friends there so I, I i cannot be sure entirely on the veracity but they're usually fairly reliable when it comes to these sort of things a lot of american aff- uh, accents keep turning up in the type 26 office
0: mm.
2: a lot of american accents keep turning up there
1: because what i'm what i'm thinking specifically is that the the type 26 is really it's your
2: high-end yeah it's your high-end, I mean, yeah, it's, warfare, it's your
1: high-end frigate so there's only there's only so many nations that can afford it um places like australia and canada whereas a type 31 is very fairly specialized for what it does and is maybe it's useful adjunct uh, adjutant to the type 26 but probably is maybe i don't know it's it's i can't quite see it being a a perfect fit for many of the smaller to small mid-sized navies but if if there's a sweet spot between the two which could become the type 32 then that might actually unlock a, a whole ton of orders because i'm I'm thinking of places like and i know okay they do tend to buy a lot of second-hand ships but uh, places like brazil because i was actually quite surprised because brazil's obviously one of the larger navies in south america but when you look at their fleet, they've got the big ships. But in terms of frigates, destroyers, and other escorts, they're all actually very tiny. Uh, they haven't. I don't think they've got anything much above four thousand tons. But for a navy this this of the size that Brazil is, and with the ambitions that that some of the uh, Brazilians' uh, political parties seem to have. They kind of they need something that's a little bit bigger and also to standardize somewhat, but yeah. the export markets like that might might come into play, and it I suppose this also, as with many things in modern the modern uh, naval era, in a lot of ways maybe also loops background onto China because there might be i'm just thinking a lot of navies over in the Western Pacific and Indian Ocean regions who might be looking for a rapid-built m- mid-grade frigate that they can reasonably acquire and run in reasonable numbers, where perhaps they wouldn't be able to afford a Type 26 and might think that a fleet made up entirely of Type 31s might not be survivable enough.
2: Hmm. There are all sorts of options. Hmm. And also, you have to remember, and this is one of the points which someone's made to me, you could probably c- check on a ninth Type 26 and build it within the pro- uh, program schedule. But if you do more than that, then that yard is going to be locked up for when you need to get into your destroyer replacements.
1: Mind you, they are slow building the Type Twenty Sixes, so they could just speed them up a bit.
2: Yes, but half the trouble is actually the the money to speed it up mm. to get in more than uh, get in more than nine because of the way the contracts have been designed in the UK. Would be very, very expensive. Now, I and you might would quite happily support that. But the figure, uh, but I think it's more likely if we did get a ninth type 26, which I, w- I would hope we would do, because it would be then be multiples of three, which makes mm. sense for naval yes. procurement. But, you know. All
1: is three, as Zathra said in <laughs> Babylon inside,
2: 5. <laughs> it would be, it, it, here's the thing six type 45s, nine type 26s, six type 20, 31s, and six type 32s. That would be a lovely organisation. 27 escorts. Drac will quite happily do the maths if you want and tell you exactly how many escorts that gives you available at any one time generated. But, you know, it's basically nine, Mm. which is enough for a task group.
0: Yeah, but that's only if I,
1: I remember to turn the taps off. Yeah. Well, Whoa. that's something else we need to, to, to follow up on, is just ha- how much stuff has BAE left of questionable quality in the QEs, and um, exactly how high up on the Christmas card list of Camel Laird uh, and Plymouth are BAE at the moment?
0: Uh, <laughs> well, Camel Laird love them. The latest incident was uh, saltwater fire. Hose piping, uh, yeah, fire water mains, which is exactly engine. what happened on Queen, Queen Elizabeth, engine. just in a slightly yeah. different location.
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: it, it it does imply a design error, doesn't it? If it's uh, yeah that quickly, two you know, different I, ships. Well, given that in
1: both cases it's been bolt bolt failure rather than the pipe failure, that probably indicates that somebody somewhere was supposed to use a specific grade of maritime rated bolt with a certain yield strength and failure point and some joker probably went "Eh, yeah but that'll be expensive why don't i go down to b and q and uh pick up a few mild packs of mild steel bolts that are meant to hold someone's shed together Uh,
2: i i'm possibly not quite that bad but i wouldn't be surprised if someone decided that oh well theoretically now really we probably need this level but theoretically according to the sums we can get away with going for this level which is just that bit cheaper yeah you can imagine there's the level you would normally go to which gives you a margin a large margin of safety and then there is the level which is probably a lot cheaper which gives you just a very small margin of safety and then you're dealing with the pressures you're dealing on an aircraft carrier and at small margin of safety, it doesn't exist, really, in real life. It just exists on paper when you're working these things out in theory.
0: Well, but there are further implications of this. I mean, you know, the section was submerged for about 24 hours. It's one engine room section. Yeah. However... Checking the quote-unquote miles of cables will take months, and the process will cost millions of pounds. Yes. What what happens in the case of battle damage? I mean, is this this the downfall of these highly automated electronic uh, low crew vessels, that um, they are are inherently vulnerable if you leave the tap on in the bath?
1: Uh, I think... I think it's more to do with the fact that everything is massively expensive these days. Um,
2: and pretty- I wouldn't be surprised if the contractors are because it's I think it's part of the guarantee of delivery mm. still covered by the guarantee they're trying to suggest the cost is higher so that they don't have so that someone uh, they can make a case that they shouldn't have to bear it fully under some grade whereas you know, but the thing is also the the uh, Navy might be making it higher because they might be going right. Then we want all this new,
1: yeah, and not also what workable, else new? And also, there's probably factored in what else is wrong.
2: What also, by the way, you're going to have to replace the bolts every single way of the way through. Mm.
1: Well, not just that; it's all the uh,
0: electric motors and um, high voltage power uh, arrangements because, of course, everything's electric on that ship.
1: Mm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but but I, I suspect there's probably a certain amount built in there. To they're probably thinking, right? Well, if if this is wrong, we're probably going to find a bunch of other stuff in there that's wrong that's going to need correcting. So let's build in a certain cost margin to account for that. Now, yeah, because in the, in the in the best case scenario, the additional repairs that inevitably will come up will be covered by that cost. And worst case scenario, five million pound ref- uh, repair overrunning to six million sounds a lot less. Bad than 3 million doubling to 6 million yes Uh, It's all about managing Expectations which is a phrase (laughs) I hate by the way
2: (laughs) Yeah but it does work And here's the really interesting thing though The literal strike Ships the things that Britain's been talking about And the thing that Australia had which turned Into the Canberra class Um yeah They, they, They They they're evolving again. They're um that every day and every time I hear about them from Mr. Defence or, or various other places, I'm told no, they're categorically not gonna be an LHD. But they sound more and more like an LHD. You know they're now gonna be able to carry landing craft.
0: Well that's because you don't have an LHD.
2: Yeah. <laughs> oh, and they want them to be able to refuel F thirty fives.
0: Oh, okay. Yep. Yep. Well, hey, um, Spain has a good class of ship for that.
2: Yeah. That, well, uh, the, the brick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think if we get end up getting it, it'll be probably something built by Camel Lurds, and it might well be a variation on the brick, but it'll be a Camel Lurds... Um, okay, this looks ugly, we're going to fix that.
0: Brick,
2: (laughs) (laughs) in the nicest way i i I do love the various constructors of the uh, the the spanish brick but um i'm fairly sure knowing camel nerds who probably the company which would end up with this job they would look at that design and go uh, we can fix that hull form for you. <laughs>
1: it seems to be Camel Laird's main reason for existence these days in military naval circles. It's like, someone has built something. It does not work. Here, we will fix it for you.
2: Yes. I'm um, the only one who thinks they're probably penciling into their future budgets. French new build aircraft oh, carrier. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> will need to be fixed with nuclear reactor aboard. Shall we extend the dry dock In in anticipation yeah. of its arrival
0: Why What's, What brings that one up <laughs>
2: um, Charles the Ghoul Spent how long in in? I think it was Southampton mm. With Camilla looking at it Because that was the okay. dockyard which could take it yeah.
0: Charles so, the Ghoul pr-
2: basically was built Came mm-hmm. out brand new And I can't remember how long to, how long actually is that exact, it, it passed before it ended up in Southampton well, I think for some, dry docking.
1: Someone I think someone once said um, when it comes to to Charles de Gaulle, it's it's actually easier to write a list of things that worked properly um as opposed to trying a to list of all of its initial faults i mean the 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 blasted thing they ended up having to replace the screws at least at least once possibly twice to, if how well my memory is going and like the the last time a major capital ship came out so badly so so badly designed that it needed to have its screws replaced was well, the most recent time I can think about that on a large capital ship was the North Carolina class when they had all the vibration issues and that wasn't even really to do with the fall of the screws. That was just an attempt to actually fix it. The last time sc- screws were horribly designed and caused issues for the ships in and of themselves was back in the 19th century, back when screw propellers were pretty much a brand new thing. <laughs> you, you, it, it takes an extra special level of effort to mess something like that up. <laughs> Plus the fact they tried to run it off the, the equivalent of a couple of duracells um which doesn't help uh, i mean okay. the new one well, the new the new one will have a nine bowl <laughs> <laughs> oh. if you,
0: lick, if you lick
1: it you could feel the tingle <laughs> don't be mean don't you mean Now, to uh, be fair i i, it, I think the um uh, i mean actually in all seriousness they are actually going for a lower power output on the thing which it does make i mean it'll be interesting to see how the design develops although i don't think we'll see that much more of it next year considering it's not even supposed to have steel cut till the mid 2030s um the design whatever they think the design is going to be now it's going to look very different by the time they get around to actually building the thing but it, it Um, One of the things I'm very interested to see if they retain is the hull form, because at the moment they're talking about going with a relatively low power output, but then to maintain the speed that they require, they're going for an almost cruiser-like hull form, which is going to mean some very fine lines and does raise the rather interesting possibility of the fact that dimensionally and displacement-wise... Overall, it might be slightly larger than the Queen Elizabeth's, but it might actually end up with less usable hull volume for aircraft and therefore have similar or less capacity because of these incredibly fine hull lines, which would be a very interesting discussion to have at some point much further down the line on the, uh, the sort of the cost benefit of reducing your power plant and power output and therefore costs in that respect, but at the expense of strike power.
2: Well, as it's well known and well-published, I would have liked the Queen Elizabeth to be about 36 meters longer. Mm. And that's not entirely because I'd like them longer than the Chinese and the Russian aircraft carriers. That's not that's not the sole reason. Uh, But um, I do think at 320 meters, but with the same beam, they would have been... That much more fuel efficient and capable for long uh, for the air range operations, especially if we're going to start. I think when they were designed, they're very good for operating in the North Atlantic and the South Atlantic. But I think if you were starting to say, well, we might actually have to have them operating in the Pacific and coming back, then I think that extra thirty six meters would have made a big difference in terms of your long range cruising fuel consumption. What do you think, Drac?
1: Yeah, I mean there would have been more space for aircraft as well
2: that would have be, been useful. let's be honest you're not going to get much
0: more
1: where would you park equipment. it though where would you park it
2: honestly if we could park in the same place we're going to park it you know we had to rebuild the whole new yard a whole do- dry dot a whole dock so any for it it would be an extra 72 80 meters of dock
1: that yeah. really I had to out lot. portsmouth i think this is the thing it's that when you're going to actually go for we're going to have to we're going to build a ship big enough we have to upgrade our infrastructure you might as well go a fair chunk above because otherwise you're just going to end up with numerous iterative tiny changes and Mm -hmm. then you end up with weird situations like the french in the interwar period where they're building 90 percent of a ship with the stern and or bow missing (laughs) because it can't fit on the slipway and then attack building that separately and attaching it elsewhere um which I, I don't think is necessarily the best way of going about things. No. Which I suppose then brings us to
0: the next part, which is uh, Bonhomme Richard.
1: Mm. Um,
0: after that uh, terrible and tragic fire. Yeah. For- fortunately, no deaths, but mm. um, is now been declared a write-off, which is, leaves a rather significant hole in capability for the, uh, for the Pacific. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's um it is one of those interesting things that you you could tell there was kind of an undercurrent of we'd really like to save the ship. But as we discussed at the time of the fire, I think anyone, including us with a knowledge of naval architecture, as soon as we saw where the fire had originated and how far it had spread and what it'd done to the superstructure, was like, Nope, that ship is toast, quite literally. Um
2: it... it's sad for the crew. But it is, mm. the, and it's also sad for the U.S. Navy because that was. I would argue Bonham Richard was probably their most worked up and best F thirty five platform they had.
1: Yeah. Well, it would have been the, the newest, certainly by the with in terms of the refit that it was getting. But I, I, I mean, it it does raise this issue that we've talked about before about the U.S. Navy potentially getting some kind of light carrier. Um, to supplement this. That, that, that talk is continuing. Um, yeah i actually i actually went and had a a poke around the satellite views of newport new shipyard and i worked out that they've got their two big nuclear carrier docks um up on the north end of it but they actually do have a couple of slipways further down which just about could fit a queen elizabeth size hull um and i think as i've discussed with i know i've discussed it with dr clark would that a
2: queenless of class hold to 284 meters or a queen
1: a, as of, built queen at the of moment. class to
2: 320 meters because be yeah.
1: 320 meters is better well a, a, as built at the moment it would fit but uh, i know i've discussed with this with dr clark previously i can't remember if i mentioned this in previous build pumps episode but i actually ran the calculations and worked out that even if you're being incredibly conservative and you take the unit cost of a Queen Elizabeth class at the moment, which is obviously somewhat higher because of the um, R&D cost being sunk into only two hulls, And
2: because of Britain paying for free and building two.
1: Yeah. Because then, it did that yeah. to
2: delay the construction cost.
1: And even even if on top of that, you stick on the truly ridiculous estimate of two billion to refit the ships mid-construction and say that is the cost of making them Bar. So you're being incredibly... Mm over over blown at that point. But even with that figure, which is around it works out around about five billion dollars per hull, you can actually get two Queen Elizabeth's for um and three billion in change for the price of Ford. And once you take into account that obviously the R and D section of the cost is would drop the more the holes you build. And it if you're designing them if you're building them from the ground up as catapult that extra inflationary cost isn't going to be anywhere near as bad you you might just be able to squeeze three holes for the price of one but let's say you get two holes for the price of one plus change the fact they've got these docks there that can build them so it's not going to interrupt the nuclear carrier building program and being somewhat slightly smaller you can build them a lot faster it 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 does have certain attractions to me of um being able to build say half a dozen or so maybe more um that way your lhds lhas etc aren't also being double tasked for the uh carrier mini carrier strike mission the queen Elizabeth can do that a lot better apart from anything else they're faster and you can then use those to take over the commitments that say the u.s fleet in the mediterranean has and other fleets floating around in the atlantic and such and that means you can redirect most of your nuclear carrier capability to the pacific which massively ramps up your offensive power in the pacific a queen elizabeth and if you're building them at that kind of cost rate or two um still represents a massive amount of strike power to keep your eye on things like the mediterranean or the, the middle east and so I think that actually works. That would work a lot better for the US. Plus they can be used as reserve. If you build, say, eight or ten hulls or something like that, you can u- also use them as reserve um, carry, res- literally reserve carrying aircraft carrying hulls for reinforcing fleets based out or in action in the Western Pacific. Almost HMS Unicorn style, load one up with 60, 70 F-35s and station them somewhere near pearl harbor and then if if, dash when you start taking losses to your air group in combat you can just send off reinforcements bring your air group back up to full strength without having to wait days and days and days for aircraft to shuttle out across from the u.s or be shuttled Mm. Uh, and and ultimately i mean yes okay they are not Nimitzes, they are not fords but given that they would then have nimitz's and fords with the e2s and such like if you went full fighter strike load on such a a carrier and had 60 to 70 odd fighters f-35s you'd actually be rocking up if you wanted to with a carrier that actually had more offensive strike power than your Nimitz or Ford because your Nimitz or Ford would have fewer F35s aboard because they've got the cods the e2s the, the helicopters and everything else that isn't an F35 that they keep around so you could even you could have them supporting in like a, a heavy fighter strike role or cap role and and split the tasks of your carriers around
0: it's, you know, well, it you know it's, it's not it's, it's not beyond you know the realm was a possibility because the concept of a CVL was mm. mentioned in the most recent. US Navy 30year shipbuilding plan which mm. came out in recent came out in recent weeks but <coughs> basically it was only a it was admittedly only a mention but I guess getting those three characters CVL into an official document like that is in itself a fairly significant signal that they're taking the idea seriously.
2: I would say call it the midway class. Make
1: them happy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well I mean they've taken the independence class. You could call it a Saipan. Mm. That was that was their actual dedicated designed CVL in World War II. Call it, call call it a Saipan, Saipan class. Call it Samar. Uh... <laughs> that would bring up some bad memories. <laughs> Mind <laughs> you, actually, if you named them after the um, the escort carriers at Samar in the various task force depending on how many you build after the various ships in Taffy 3 and Taffy 1 and 2 that would be quite a nice way of uh, rounding everything out yeah in fact that that would probably bring in some institutional PTSD in some of the western pacific navies if you see uh, a Gambier Bay and a Saint Low and a White Plains all showing up escorted by an Evans class uh, USS Johnston and USS Samuel B Roberts (laughs) <laughs> like we've literally got the old gang back together.
2: <laughs> Hello, we're here to say, sir, hi. Uh, we don't want to be here anymore. Uh, <laughs> why can you want to play? Oh, no. yeah. uh, and also, the, the other consequence of the Bonhomme Richard, and this is something which I'm fairly sure is going to happen, what's the odds are that Queen Elizabeth and uh, probably Canberra end up doing a joint task group something somewhere in the South China Sea, going...
1: Hello,
0: we're here. Yeah, who, um, yeah I mean, there's, there's been plenty of telegraph talk of um, Britain and France sending, you know, uh, major fleet units over to the Pacific next year. Um, exactly what, what shape and form it takes, I suppose, depends on circumstances as they as they evolve. But I think, you know, it is a... It would be a very welcome signal that uh, the Democracy Club is actually willing to put some um, action behind its words. So, you know, seeing um, a British carrier, a French carrier out here working in joint groups with the Indians and Japan um, would be uh, very welcome. Mm. But, oh, yeah. um, you know, it. I guess, you know, it's, for one thing, it's a demonstration that, A, we do have friends. But there's also the second level to that demonstration, which is, B, we already can work very well with those friends. Mm. So um, it's, uh, yeah, the, the interoperability thing is probably, you know, somewhat more significant than uh, it often gets given credit for.
2: It'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see what happens.
0: All right, yeah, this... Uh, it, well, you've got you know, Japan's busily converting its um, helicopter carriers as well. Um, so, you know, there's potential there to have quite a few flat tops floating around together. Mm. Um, and, you know, I guess also at the same time, uh, Shandong hasn't yet been um, formally accepted into service, as I understand it. it hasn't been uh, formally declared combat-capable yet, but uh, that can't be all that far off. Um, and you know, the pace at which China's pulling, it, uh, pulling its third carrier together, um, that'll probably be hitting the water in, uh, maybe in 12 months or so. Not, not, yeah, by hitting the water, I mean coming out of this, the um, assembly lines. Mm. But um, have, a better, perhaps. Better, have a better idea as to what its size and shape will be. But, you know, amid all of this, though, you know, the other thing that happened this year back in August was China fired two hypersonic missiles. They travelled a couple of thousand kilometres and they managed to hit, hit moving surface vessels. Mm. Mm. So, you know, this is the, one of those things that people have... Been you know a little bit leery of the idea of a ballistic missile delivering a warhead onto a moving ship at sea. Well, apparently they've succeeded in doing that, which you know, admittedly you know, it's still early days. It was a hypersonic but, but it,
2: glide vehicle, wasn't it? Not, yes, it was. As, as I
0: understand stuff. it, yeah as, yeah, as I as I understand it, was their glide vehicle. Um, yeah, it's, it's it, it has the potential to be a major game changer for anything big.
2: I of course, just, it's always helpful to know where your target's going before you fire. Yeah, but... but it,
0: be, is, yeah. It, is, it is. It's one, one of those things imagine... which
2: is a very big thing. It's very easy to undermine and say this, that, and the other about it. And I could. Mm. I could go from... Did they have a beacon in those surfaces? Because I can go through it all. Of but course. the fact is, it's a level of development they have managed to push to. It, it, it
0: points to any... It points to the fact that it's within the realms of technical possibility.
2: Yes, so it's, and the it's fact no is, longer... again, if you're firing enough of these things, you've got a problem coming at you. Uh,
0: you know, it's, uh, uh, you know, the point is, is that the ship's moving, at best, some 30 knots. Mm. It only takes these missiles a matter of minutes to travel a couple of thousand kilometres.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So in that time, a 30-knot ship isn't going to be all that far from the point you had tracked it down to be to give you the confidence to pull the trigger on one of these missiles, nice. anyway. So, its terminal guidance sort of um, envelope mm. is not really all that huge. So, it, it's yeah, it's um, I would imagine that um, a lot of uh, head scratching will be needed
1: fairly quickly. Mm-hmm. So you come up with
0: um, countermeasures for this kind of thing.
1: Yeah, and to be honest, a lot lot of this kind of stuff, I think a lot of the kind of issues that are raised with these kinds of things of where you don't have necessarily precise coordinates, there is actually a kind of hiding in plain sight solution to that, which is, um, if I remember correctly, I think it's the Granite, which is not exactly the world's newest of missiles, but when they were developed the there was this idea that one of them would fly slightly higher than the rest and would then communicate what was going on to the its its swarm mates and then if it got shot down another one would pop up to to do that role it's not a tremendous advance to consider that maybe taking that and then going okay well why don't we apply that to hypersonics so as you say ship's not going to go too far so you fire off a hypersonic that is more it, it's got a warhead but it's more profiled with sensor and communications equipment Um and then a couple of minutes later you fire off your attack wave and then your your lead one it just goes okay right i i think i'm in roughly the right area i'm going to pop up and take a look around yes it will probably be engaged by surface to air defenses but it doesn't need that long to work out the target is here, or the target is there, or wherever the target is. Um, and shrink that envelope. Yeah. yeah, shrink that envelope right down. Communic- and all it has to do is communicate a basic positional course correction back to the rest of the swarm. Even if it's taken out 5 or 10 seconds after it pops up, which realistically is about the best flight time you'd expect for a surface-to-air missile, it's already done its job, and the rest of the swarm course corrects and heads off to the new, the new target vector, at which point the whole sort of yeah, well, we can keep them from getting an exact uh, target coordinates. Really, falls out falls out the window.
0: I guess this is where space force comes into its own, um, because yeah, the, once again, it's sort of been shown that um, hypersonic missiles and glide vehicles have a very large infrared signature. So they can be seen coming from a long way away. It's just that. They're moving so terribly fast uh, that it that long way away is not a long time away. So, this is where you'll probably be finding um, the militarization of space happening at rapid pace. Uh, Some you know, intercept intercept interceptors designed to catch these uh, ballistic boost vehicles um, at their sort of before they hit their terminal phase to deploy their. Glide warheads, so because that's you know, that's where that's the, the the peak point of vulnerability, I suppose, um, where they before they get into the area before they lose the you know, um, con- controlled flight component, the 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 flight glide vehicle. Um, I would be
2: surprised if you do get into a rod from God scenario, because and again, if you're talking about a space-based system, gravity and tungsten uh, tungsten rounds. Stop that's that's that's
0: fashion. that's a strike, but I'm talking about defending your carrier fleet. Mm. So, well,
2: taking you know, it out you as it's coming up. If you've if you've got the knowledge, you can see the launch coming up, and you can see it coming out. You can do the mm. rod from grod scenario onto it.
1: Mm. Although you do have the problem there of, if you miss, you miss. It doesn't matter if you've missed by a millimeter or if you've missed by a mile. Um, although yeah. with, that, with that said, I think. I mean it's one of these things isn't it 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 depends where this the 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 profile of missiles is really going to go because a lot of the anti-shipping missiles now are very very sea skimming which means you've got the entire atmosphere between you and any kind of satellite-based counter weapon Um, whereas back in the old days when missiles flew quite high granted you still had most of the atmosphere in terms of physical distance but in terms of air density the the worst of it was beneath the missile and then a satellite based weapon will probably be more more reliable i think to be, i think to be honest it, it's it's you're probably going to be seeing in terms of satellite based stuff maybe cheaper disposable low altitude satellites used as a kind of awacs even above awacs maybe so your s Wax, spaceborne <laughs> warning and aerial control um because there's there's still a limited amount, even with an E2, there's a limited distance that you can see. And with the sheer speed of some of these things, it might not actually make too much difference. Whereas if you've got even a very basic, because one thing you can guarantee is um, hypersonic missiles are not going to be stealthy to infrared. If you had some kind of cheap, low orbit, high resolution infrared sensor on a satellite that could just sweep in a whole area of ocean, um, well beyond the capabilities of any given uh, AWACS, which is obviously also vulnerable to surface clutter. If there's a bunch of hypersonics coming in, you're gonna see the the and, heat signature.
2: And I think then you end up with your flat cloud again, like we were talking about with Battlestar Galactica, and we've been talking about mm. it again. I think you're getting to the flat scenario. Until you've mm. got lasers at the point yeah. of which Star Trek, I think uh, the, fa- uh, the Star Trek phases and your mm. that was sort of reliable. I think you're talking about a flak... Fa- I, I, you know, that is actually the thing. That, that, that's interesting. If you talk about the missiles in Battlestar Galactica Deadlock, the, mm. the, the game we were sort of using, they must have been moving at about a hypersonic speed. That's the mm. reality of, the, of them to cross space at that sort of time. The solution there, which actually works quite well, if you think about it, was flak guns. It wasn't to have guns trying to intercept the missiles it was having guns trying to make a barrier so that the, uh, there were explosions, mm. so that when the missiles had to fly through them because they were coming at that speed, they got chocked full.
1: Well, that does also bear, raise the rather interesting issue of back in World War II, up until ships, certain ships got the latest radar systems deployed, weather, as it had been for centuries-millennia past, was a major factor in terms of whether or not you could actually fight anyone, especially in terms of whether you could see. With the amount of things like hypersonics, the sheer speed of missiles, jamming, countermeasures, stealth, etc., etc., that's knock- all of that is kind of knocking back the sensor capabilities of ships, which ultimately are still relying on newer and more exciting forms of radar for the most part, with a little bit of IR thrown in. But... As that advances, I think you might actually start seeing conditions where weather has significant effects on whether or not you decide to launch an attack. Because if you've got your theoretical space-borne infrared spotter, well, then attacking on a day where there's seven-eighths cloud cover to block the infrared (laughs) signal Mm -hmm. suddenly becomes very attractive. Um, Or if you're firing stealth munitions that maybe for whatever reason are less vulnerable to that kind of detection but you know the enemy have lasers then again uh, a warm day or a foggy day or something that's going to otherwise interdict the laser and cause it to attenuate more is a better time to attack than a nice cool clear night where the laser has almost perfect line of sight so we could actually see a return to tactics where people genuinely have to take into account not just the weather as in, are the seas throwing my ship bodily out of the water, but weather as in fog, rain, snow, sleet, cloud, all these other things that for almost a century have not really been a factor.
2: There's also our custom variation on rock, paper, scissors, because again, geography starts to become a factor because if you've Mm. got a hypersonic sea skimming missile or something like that, and you are in a fjord like, or a fjord like space, or in you're in mm. um, somewhere like San Carlos Bay where you're ringed mm. by mountains. Good luck
1: with yeah.
2: trying to get in there because
1: course correction. you still to
2: course you know, course correction.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You've got to get in Yeah, that's the thing.
2: The missile has got to something get into there. You've got to, you, the, yeah. ship. Yes, yeah, to the ship. get to the ships you know yeah like, so they, they... the ships but you know it, it's the thing is if you manage to get the ships in suddenly and that's the space you're going to really want to be able to take out
1: the ter- the terrain coming back in would be uh yeah i mean apart from uh konigsberg deciding or was it carl's i can't remember off the top of my head whichever one decided to go and hide up a river delta in east africa in world war one I. I don't think anyone's really used the terrain as a defense aside from turbits in a good while <laughs> Um, I mean, the French oh, tried it at Kipperon Bay, but that didn't really work out very well because Admiral Hawke was insane. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. but then
2: anyway, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, the Danish tried it repeatedly at Copenhagen.
1: Yeah, but they were static. The, this is the problem: using using terrain as a static defense doesn't really work very well because eventually your enemy will just go, "Okay, fine, we will adapt," because yeah. it's a known quantity. Using terrain as an active defense, on the other hand, where you're constantly moving around. Uh, maybe we should name that the Michael Clapp maneuver. We got yeah. the Picard maneuver in Star Trek. The Michael Clapp anti missile defense maneuver is like put very large rock between you and missile <laughs> because rock beat missile.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh. But then again, you know, beating missiles is. Particularly hypersonic missiles is to get them in that boost phase. Mm. They have to be boosted up into low orbit, essentially, for them to get the veloc- velocity that makes them hypersonic.
2: Wasn't it a Tom Clancy or a Dale Brown book which had stealth B 1 bombers which were armed with missiles which would intercept those things in the boost phase? Uh, and yeah, that,
1: that was, was the Dan. Yeah, I think that was, Dale was Dan Brown. Brown or Dale Brown? Dale yeah. Brown. He, he did it, first he did it with b52s then he put like 747 turbo fans on a b52 and then he repeated the whole idea with b ones because they're cooler apparently know they know are like, to
0: be honest. well they are but what are they how, how are they extending the lives of
1: the b-52s
0: this time um i'm not sure but I, I know that they are actually re engineering them but um Yes.
2: Oh, that would be fun to see them Uh, armed with 747 uh, 747 turbofans.
0: But it's, uh, I don't know. It's it's interesting to see. Also, I suppose next year is when we're supposed to see, I think, for the first time, the the new US stealth bomber. And Mm. China has um, made noises that its stealth bomber will be um, seen for the first time next year as well. So the Russians
1: have got uh, is it pack Da? Apparently. Mm. Uh, Are they
0: planning on revealing it next year?
1: They're somewhat close to apparently. Mm. So next year yeah. will be the year of the stealth bombers, I think. Mm.
2: Oh yes, yeah, so it'll be always it'll be the bomber versus carrier debate all over yeah. again.
1: At which point, Iran will either either show a stealth bomber about the size of a Canberra, or they'll just point to. Uh, They'll so just point to a a rain shadowed area of the runway and say, "Look, our stealth bomber is so superior, you can't even see it." Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe they resurrect oh. the, the Russian con- the the resurrect the uh, the Russian and American parasite fighter concept and have uh, have their new stealth bomber with the Quahair three one three ultimate balsa stealth jet.
0: <laughs> I was going to say they they could put a three year old in its cockpit and say, yeah. it's, say it's a bigger say it's a bigger plane.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm pretty sure labour laws in Iran are probably slightly more relaxed than they are over here. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
0: yes. But, oh, I mean, yeah, no, it's, it's, seeing a fair few places um, dabbling with building their own aircraft now. Mm.
2: I always said we were we were sort of the Top Gear of uh, the old Top Gear team of uh, naval history podcasts, but we really we. we, we we really are turning into them with our ability to um, go through nations and the world. Ago, we're going to piss you off.
1: <laughs> but um, although that, um, I don't know if it's going to happen next year. But it'll be interesting to keep an eye on to see what happens next year. Because without touching precisely the uh, whole Brexit issue, even with a ten-foot barge pole, the simple fact of the matter is that, as when dash if, the whole current. So that thing surrounding it is actually done um the eu is going to be well I'll, bluntly it's going to have one of the biggest obstacles to the to accelerating the ever closer union aspect of things out of the way and once they have that out the way it'll be interesting to see if any of the um occasionally somewhat imaginative proposals for an eu army or an eu defence force that have been floated over the past few years get brought back up again and now that
2: there, it'll be there interesting is a to big... see how countries react which have been very happy to go well of course we support this but the british don't like it so we mm. can't do it suddenly how they react yeah and I mean, also there's the fact that if you're looking at germany at the moment you have to think what's going to happen in Germany after Merkel goes.
1: Because the French, she- you know the French are running the their their one nuclear carrier, and let's face it, if the Germans are involved, any kind of EU carrier is not going to be nuclear. Um, but the EU collectively, if they wanted to pool their defensive assets, they could actually get in on the supercarrier building program um i suspect it's probably going to rely built in italy yeah well that would be the that would be the sensible choice because their ones would actually work um but it i think it's going to depend an awful lot on the politics of things so you mean
2: it'll be built in spain to a french design
1: (laughs) well i'm thinking more if the eu decides in terms of the big america china standoff whether the eu decides it's going to side with america against china and russia or whether it's going to try and play the middleman or whether it's going to try and be a third axis on its own that doesn't want anything to do with either of of them in terms of the the political shoving match because if they if they go for a more conciliatory approach with russia and or china then they well a you can see some of the EU states arguing that building a socking great military would be provocative and unhelpful and also unnecessary because hey everybody is friends now Um, but if they decide to take a slightly stronger line then actually having some kind of collectivized defense might actually be a more useful approach especially considering that last I think last episode we were talking about the limitations of NATO um, and the fact that you can't like NATO doesn't help you if something breaks out in the South China Sea. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you know, the pro- part of the problem though, is that the EU's got a bunch of its own autocrats
0: to deal with. Mm-hmm. So um, I suspect that it's going to be a bit more worried about what's happening in its own boundaries than what's happening in the Pacific.
1: Al- autocrats like a big, strong military. And they can time if like they a
2: strong military, they can tell it, what to do.
1: Given that it's the EU, they can put it on a time ship, the carrier on a timeshare. <laughs> this this month it's Polish. Next month it's Greek. Month after that, and um, Turkey's not is Turkey Hungary? part of the EU? No, Turkey's not part of the EU. Good. Uh, I was gonna say that would be an interesting change of flag ceremony. Um <laughs> Yeah. Austro-hung- Austro-Hungarian Navy is reborn. <laughs> Uh, uh, i would be like that scene The Symptoms It's like, we thought you guys had broke up That's what we wanted you to think
0: <laughs> see, see a carrier going past With the flag of
1: Liechtenstein mm. I mean, that would substantially add To Liechtenstein's overall territorial area to be <laughs> Oh
0: god,
2: Monaco Monaco mm. with an aircraft carrier
1: Yeah I mean, Uh, to to be honest, actually, the Austro-Hungarian Navy might be a a model to look to at that point because they had something like 13 official languages with all the officers having to be fluent in at least four. So for any kind of EU defense force, they're probably going to have to adopt a similar position. To be uh,
2: fair, let's be honest. For an EU defence force, they're gonna uh, probably uh, they're probably end up going to having to adopt English as yeah, their official. I was going to say that would
1: be the most hilarious part is that actually the, the most common language across the EU is probably going to be English, which will lead to massive paroxysms of rage from the French,
0: <laughs> who,
1: who will probably demand, like they do with the Olympics, that everything be double signed.
0: <sighs> oh, <sighs> civil war it's breaking uh, out already?
1: Yes. I, well, actually, I, see- now I'm I'm just imagining the uh, the combat alert systems. Because you can imagine, in the middle of combat, you just hear a klaxon go off, and you just hear this voice, just like, "Attention, attention, incoming missile." Bing. En français, attention, attention,
0: <laughs> <laughs> le missile
1: est incoming. <laughs> Bing. <laughs> acton, Acton. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the little is still going off for about two two hours after the missiles hit.
2: Oh. No, but
0: doesn't Britain have the same problem with, um, you know, the uh, Welsh, and uh, not to mention the various uh, dialects between your major cities?
1: Uh, we sort of survive. just just shout loud enough. I think uh, <laughs> that's that's where the that's where the mimetic thing of the British comes from. It's like if you shout loud enough but slowly enough, you can usually make yourself heard, it, despite the weird and wonderful differences in language across the British Isles. They're like, oh, it must work everywhere else.
2: Uh, you, you see, the, the thing is, um, now, I have to be careful how I do this, because my girlfriend says castle,
1: <laughs>
2: and I pronounce it castle. She says grass, I say grass. It's actually similar to what my dad used to say, because my dad came from the hall, my girlfriend comes from the Whirl. So... Hello, Anne. Well, actually, I should be saying hello to Louise, who's my girlfriend. But Anne, her mum, is the one who listens to Bilge Pump. So, hello, Anne. <laughs> and it's you know, it it it's one of our it's one of our non-ending debates when we're sort of together. That at some point, one of us is going to make a joke of the on that sort of line thing, and we're going to start doing. It but you can survive this is the thing i also go down to cornwall and i will develop. i, I suddenly change my accent it will become cornish when i'm down there or when i got to scotland the accent can change to scottish quite quickly because of, i've i've had family from there and i will it will evolve when it's in there so the thing is you can usually sort of work it out the more interesting thing is when you go into a um i've had this more happen in a welsh pub than anywhere else Go into a Welsh pub, keep your mouth quiet, just sort of just do the pointing thing and go that to, you know, sort of thing with your fingers. You can do because if it's noisy. They don't mind. It's not considered rude. You just point a drink to pay. Sit down and everyone's talking English. Everyone's talking English. Everyone's talking English. And um, Eventually, if you open your mouth and you start, you say something like thank you or something, or something within about five minutes, half the tables we start talking Welsh. because you know ah there's an englishman in the room oh yeah Mm. and you gotta
1: go yeah mind you i think uh, to be perfectly honest also when it comes to announcements on a royal navy ship you can even if you don't understand what's being said you can usually tell roughly what you're supposed to do by the level of excitement in the officer's voice and the amount of swearing because yeah. the curse words are common across the language. So it's like, <laughs> I have no idea what that chap said, but he sounded very excited and there was a there was about 60% curse words by volume, so we should probably go to action stations.
2: It, yeah. <laughs> or alternatively, he sounded incredibly calm. We're firing everyone
0: down on the deck.
2: <laughs> the guns are about to go
0: off. Oh. Uh, well, I think that pretty much wraps up what we've got. Yeah, mm.
2: so again, I will add in, we have the Bilge Pumps of SimSec at Gmail. For anyone interested in being part of January's, uh, January's recordings, please do email us. Mm. And um, we'd love to hear your suggestions. Mm. And thank you guys for an excellent new year. Uh, an excellent cool. new year. Um, I would add that next week's episode after this is our special coming out on the 30th with Michael Clapp and Julian Thompson. And I'm going to say it now. I have been listening to it for about a week and I still haven't figured out where I can cut it in the middle to make it into two parts. So it could end up being about two hours long because honestly, I either have to cut up Michael clap in the middle of something he's saying, or Julian Thompson in the middle of something he's saying, or I end up with two episodes, which are both, which a overlap for about 50 minutes and B are both about an hour and 40 minutes long. Anyway, so there. I might as well leave it as two hours and fifteen minutes because it just seems absurd.
0: <laughs> yeah, I guess it can be hard to, to break a, a um the flow, and it was a very flowing discussion.
2: So. It, was, mm. it was, it was, it was a good one. We are, we are really looking forward to you guys listening to that. We are looking forward to the, uh, you know, it, it's one of those ones where I, I think all three of us were sitting there going. Yeah, this is why we do Bill Trump. This is good.
0: Mm. Very much so. Very enjoyable so them.
2: Thank okay. you very much and happy Christmas. Uh, what happy, mm, I'm trying to remember what else is there this year? Um, Something or another season. There's all sorts of things going on. So happy to every one of our listeners, whatever you're celebrating mm. this time of year. And um, yeah, thank you. Thanks you for listening. Bye bye.
0: Welcome to the Bilge Pumps, where a bunch of naval geeks spout off.